The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. The pot of thunder and rock and roll. And it's Friday. It's The remedy for boredom is here. The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Two, three, four. Somebody gonna get their ass kicked. Somebody gonna get their wig split. Somebody gonna get their ass kicked. Somebody gonna get their wig split. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Beat him up, beat him up, break his neck, break his neck. Break his neck. All right, such a huge hit. Me uh, reading Mark Henry's lyrics. Apparently, you guys loved it. I won a couple awards for that in Luxembourg today. What a show we have! Ray Mysterio will be flying through the studio. He'll be here talking to us about all the amazing things he's done throughout his career. I have a long time friendship with 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 Oscar with Ray. Uh, met him in 93 when I think he was like 18 years old or something like that. Uh, I didn't believe that he was 18. He looked like he was about 10. He looked like Scooter from the Muppets or Sherman from Sherman and Mr. Peabody. He looked like a little kid. And it's great to have him on the show. I've been waiting for a long time. He's been my friend for basically my entire wrestling career over 20 years. Got a lot of great stories to tell. And also Ray will be in the huge... Andre the Giant Battle Royal that is coming up at WrestleMania, which is this Sunday, 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 Sunday. WrestleMania will be here along with Roddy James Dio. I always love that when you said for some reason when I was a kid, it'd be like, you know, the world tractor races Sunday, 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 this Sunday, the grave digger will be there. And after the show, a special set by Ronnie James Dio. Dio. New Dio tribute record out right now called This Is Your Life, which has an uh, amazing version of Last in Line by Tenacious D, Neon Knights by Anthrax, and Ronnie's Rising Medley, which is Tarot Woman, A Light in the Black, Kill the King, Stargazer, by Metallica. And have you heard Metallica's new song, Lords of Summer? Check it out online right now if you haven't. 
or check out Ronnie's Rising Medley. Both are amazing tunes. Metallica in the studio right now working on a new record, and I will have Lars Ulrich on this show by hook or by crook when that record is ready to go. Lars said he would do it when, when the record is ready. And I'm like, what is that, like, you know, 2020? Is that when we're going to be ready? So this Sunday, WrestleMania is coming up. I will not be there. I will not be a surprise entrant in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. People are like, oh, we're sure you're going to be there. No, my ego is far too big for that. If I was coming back for WrestleMania, it would be for a huge spot, not for a Battle Royal. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not going to, uh, I wouldn't come back for that. So just so you know. But I will be watching the show. Very excited about some of the matches. I think it's going to be very cool. Uh, a lot of you heard the other day, the last week's show with Howie Mandel, which if you haven't heard it, go check it out. It's a great interview. Once again, it doesn't matter who's on this show. If I have them on, you have to trust me that I think you're going to like the guests because I don't have boring people on my show. So whether you like music, whether you like wrestling, whether you like acting or whatever it is, whatever, whatever reason why you listen to Talk is Jericho, and I know there's hundreds of podcasts for you to listen to, I appreciate you being here to join me for, for, for this one. If there's a guest on there, trust me that you're going to like them. Uh, on Howie Mandel's show last week, I told you about the BTWF, the Big Time Wrestling Federation, my wrestling company that I had when I was a kid, and how the uh, main event of Pummel Mania 2, which was our big show, where I was up on the ladder, Eastern Crowbar was, was the name of the big uh, babyface hero, was up on the ladder, and just before I could jump off to beat the Wild Warden, we were interrupted by the high school janitor, Egypt. And we called him Egypt because no one could really understand what he was talking about. I'm not saying he was actually from Egypt. That was just his nickname. And then when I, I had that show on, I mentioned that Egypt kind of spoiled things. There was a lot of bad press for Egypt. And uh, Egypt's representatives actually called us and asked to be on the show. And I thought, uh, you know, it's only fair to have Egypt on the show. So he's with us uh, right here live in the studio. Egypt, welcome to the studio. Jericho, I came straight here from the streets of San Francisco. And I'm happy to be on your show. Yeah, Egypt, but you and I have a lot of uh, issues against each other. I mean, you really did spoil the main event of Pummel Mania 2, and I really am not over that, and I'm not really... Uh, I mean, why did you have to get involved, you, you, you jerk? Because you were a high school student. Instead of studying or doing your work, you were too busy wrestling. And the liabilities could have been huge. So on behalf of the school, I had to stop you from jumping off the ladder. And for the last... 30 years or so, I have been regretting my decision. Well, you should uh, be regretting your decision, Egypt, because you spoiled a great match, and Pummelmania 2 goes down in the books as, 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 a, as a no contest, uh, disappointing a lot of fans and the whole legacy of the BTWF. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate the fact you're here on the show today. Uh, would you like to, you know, as a, as a sign of solidarity, join me with uh, in your WrestleMania predictions? Well, thank you. I'm very excited about the WrestleMania. I'll be watching it on the streets of San Francisco through a picture window at the TV inside the sports bar. All right. Okay. So you're going to be watching. You know what's going on. So um, 
Let's start. Let's uh, we'll go from um, okay. So so pre-show tag title match: the Usos versus Ryback and Curtis ask Curtis Axel versus the Real Americans: Jack Swagger and Cesaro versus Los Matadors. Um, I'm going to say that the Real Americans, Jack Swagger and Cesaro, are going to win that match. What do you think, Egypt? I, uh, I it's a, could go either way. It's a toss-up, but I will go with the Matadors because I like bull riding. <sighs> okay, so uh, that's uh, Cesaro and Swagger for Jericho, Lost Matadors for Egypt. For those of you uh, keeping track at home, make a little scoreboard, and let's see who wins. Okay, so Hulk Hogan's guest guest hosting the pay-per-view. Um, I, well, hold on one second. Yes, you have a comment about Hulk Hogan, Egypt? Yes, I think that uh, Hulk Hogan will do some sort of stare-down with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, so you think that Hogan and Piper will kind of have a little stare-down uh, to get uh, in the ring, kind of a homage back to the very first WrestleMania main event? Yes, I do. And I also think that Paul Orndorff and Mr. T will be involved somehow. Okay, so Egypt is now predicting that Hogan, Piper, Mr. T, and Orndorff will do some kind of a, a shtick. Okay, uh, next we have the Divas title match. AJ Lee defending against every Diva on the roster. I'm not going to read the names because probably reading their names will uh, be longer than the actual match itself. Um, now what the hell, I'm going to go with AJ Lee, uh, make her the, the champ. Egypt, your thoughts? I am going to choose... Rosa Mendes. Any reason for that? Because we haven't seen her in a while and she will be coming back. I predict she will have a mohawk and be completely bald instead of that. And she will do the Rose Warriors. Oh, you think she's going to be the Rose Warrior? Kind of a takeoff on the Road Warrior? Yes. All right, Egypt has predicted Rosa Mendez. I'm predicting AJ Lee. Kane and the New Age Outlaws versus The Shield in a six-man tag match. I mean, The Shield is obviously going to win, and I'll say that uh, Reigns pins Kane. Well, then aren't you just the stinky face? Uh, If you're so sure who's going to win this match, why don't you just go marry them? I'm glad I stopped you from jumping off the ladder on the Purple Mania main event, you stupid son of a bastard. But I am going to say that the, the, the shield will break up and the, uh, the winners will be Kane and the New Age Outlaws. Okay, so uh, and first of all, watch your tone, uh, Egypt. You don't have to get so angry. We've got a lot of issues. We don't have to solve those solve those on air. So I'm taking the shield, and uh, Egypt is taking Kane and the New Age Outlaws. John Cena versus Bray Wyatt. I mean, I'm going to say that it'd be great to see Bray Wyatt win. I think Bray Wyatt will win. Ah, you stupid bastard once again. John Cena is the hero to the kids and to all the janitors everywhere, all the janitors I know on the streets of San Francisco. Love John Cena, so I'll choose John Cena. All right, so I've got Wyatt, and Egypt has John Cena. 
Streak match, Undertaker. I mean, obviously, Undertaker will never lose uh, for the streak. I'm taking Undertaker. How about you, Egypt? I think the Brock Lesnar is too strong to be beaten. So I'm going to Schwarz. Brock Lesnar with the Paul Hamon as his sports advisor. Okay, so you're taking Brock. I'm taking Undertaker. Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. I think uh, Daniel Bryan will beat Triple H clean. Egypt. I also agree with you that Daniel Bryan will win, but it will be by disqualification. Triple H will get himself disqualified, and uh, Daniel Bryan will move forward by proxy. That's a good word for for, uh, for a man such as yourself, Egypt, proxy. So we're both saying Daniel Bryan, I say by clean victory, and Egypt says by uh, by DQ, which would lead to the triple threat match of Randy Orton versus Batista versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I think this is Daniel Bryan's moment. Daniel Bryan is finally going to get the chance to win, stand in the center of the ring, and have you know the entire crowd chant yes uh, and give people what they want. Uh, Egypt, what do you think? I I don't think it's going to be a swerve. I think Batista will walk out of the ring as the champion. And uh, I think that uh, they will have another match next month for Batista versus Daniel Bryan to see who the winner will be. All right, Egypt. So a little controversy there. I'm taking Daniel Bryan and you're taking Batista. Uh, one last match we forgot was the Andre the Giant Memorial 30-man battle royal. So many uh, amazing uh, guys in this match. I'm going to say, just judging by the star power, I mean, Big Show is is the easy victory. He's the one that the, the you know be easy to go with him. But let's go with somebody new. I'm going to say they're going to give uh, Dolph Ziggler the victory and have him uh, kind of fire up again and, and get a new push and a new lease on life. So I will say uh, Big Show. Is the is the go to guy, but Dolph Ziggler is kind of the dark horse. What do you think, Egypt? Well, just looking over the roster, I think that uh, I would like to see Rey Mysterio win the Battle Royal. He won the world title at WrestleMania 24 in San Francisco. So I think he should win to get him back on the map. And if he doesn't win, when someone is about to, I will go into the ring and stop the match just like I did at Pummelmania 2 to make sure that whoever I want to win wins because I will not be, be denied my, my rightful place in the history of pro wrestling. <sighs> All right, Egypt, you're getting out of control. Uh, I appreciate your predictions. You never really apologized for interrupting Pummelmania 2. I should not have had you on this show. Uh, and, and, and believe me, there will be repercussions. And uh, we have talked to, to Jack Tunney, the president of the BTWF, to find out what kind of uh, legal actions that myself and Wallace can take on Egypt for interrupting the Pummelmania match, even though it was... 26 years ago, the statute of limitations has not run out, and we will get our revenge, uh, and there will be a rematch, Eastern Crowbar and the Wild Warden, to figure out who is the final actual winner of the Pummelmania 2 main event. All right. 
We've got Ray Mysterio on the show today. Going to be taking your phone calls also a little later on, so keep your eye on the Twitter. Ah, the phone number we posted at Talk is Jericho. When you see the number, call me and I will answer your question. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. On the line right now, one of my oldest friends in the business, Ray Mysterio, is here. How you doing, Come man? On, I, I ain't that old. Come on, Chris. <laughs> you start. You started when you were twelve. That's why. Yeah, no, that's probably the age. Uh, you probably met me like two years after I started. You know, it's funny. Uh, the first time I ever met you, and we're just jumping right in here, was was in a hotel room in Mexico City, <laughs> <laughs> and you came in with Art Barr, who was Love Machine. And yeah, I remember. You, do you I remember, remember that? Your book about that. I remember reading your book about it, and when I read it, I remembered the story. But please go ahead and. and uh, <laughs> well, you came in there, and uh, yeah, Art came in there, and he brought. He's like, "Ask yeah, my friend uh, Oscar. Uh, he's a wrestler too." And I was looking. I was like, "This guy's got to be twelve years old." Like, look at this kid. <laughs> he looks like a, a like a muppet or something. And then Art, he's he's swearing and he's lighting up a joint, and I'm like, you, "What are you doing? We're gonna get we're gonna get thrown in jail." You can't bring this kid here, and he's like, That's "No, crazy. he's a wrestler." And I was, and you're like, "Yeah, hopefully we can wrestle someday." I'm like, "Whatever, kid." As if, <laughs> and, and that shortly after that, it was probably like four years later when we uh, when we hit it off, and and well, when we met again in in Japan, probably right. That's right. Yeah, it was it was it was a few years before that, a um, few years after that when when we we met up in in WAR in Japan, but. But man, yeah. I, I haven't. How you doing, man? I haven't talked to you in, in such a long time. It's been a minute, man. I've been doing great. Uh, uh, this knee has has been giving me issues in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a chance now to to sit down and watch a couple videos of of uh, especially with with uh, the WWE Network. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I I was able to go back and see some of the matches I had with Psychosis and ECW, and and even uh, uh, like my first two matches with WCW. And just going back and watching just a few of those matches, uh, I remember sitting down with my son, uh, with Dominic, and uh, and tell him, I said, you see all those falls that I was taking on my knees? Mm-hmm. I said, that led up to so many surgeries in the past, man. Yeah. Said, uh, uh, which is giving me issues now. So How, how, many, know, sur- how, how many surgeries have you had now? Uh, total them. How many? Twelve? Seven. Uh, se- oh. No, seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. Yeah. Seven, but but I'd say within those seven, this is just seven on the knee, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. not including the three that I had on my bicep, which uh, realistically, I mean, that's that's probably the only two issues that I've had uh, in the 25 years that I've been wrestling, just my knee and my, my right arm. Well, that's one of those things. I mean, you, you mentioned talking to your son about how you're, you would land on your, on your knees and all that sort of thing. I mean, you were by far, I mean, you know, kind of jumping around a bit, but the, the, not just a pioneer in high flying, but to, to me, still, for, for all the years I've been in the business and all the guys that I've seen all around the world, you are still the best high flyer I've ever seen in my life. 
And you did ah, thank you, Chris. so many things that I've never seen before and never seen since. And being being your size, I mean, you're you're a smaller guy for the wrestling business. That must have been a lot of wear and tear on you, especially in the early years when guys probably threw you around and you were jumping all over the place. I mean, no wonder your your knees are are kind of rebelling now. I mean, you you've had a lot of uh, of, of of amazing matches with amazing moves that you like. You said your body was taking the pounding on those. And it's it's crazy to to even mention the fact that because I didn't hear this in ECW, uh, the fact that that you would get guys in the locker room telling you to slow down, mm-hmm. you didn't need to do as much. ECW, I've never heard that. You right. Know, when I was there for for a year and a half, two years almost. But uh, later on, I did get get a lot of guys in WCW, you know, telling me to slow down, and and I just just didn't know it wasn't part of my nature to mm-hmm. to slow down or to to execute only two moves and not 15 in a match you know i just didn't yeah. know how to how to take that so uh um you know now i see the consequences which which uh, i don't regret at all you know i mm. mean uh if if i would have uh, eliminated a certain amount of moves uh, in a match i probably wouldn't have got as far as i did from now, you know? No, because of your, I mean, you were you're small. I mean, let's be honest. In the world of wrestling, you, I mean, you're you're a small guy, and that's how you stood out because you were so incredibly talented with all the different things you did. Like we used to call you a real life superhero. You reminded me of like you and Jackie Chan were like real life superheroes that you could do things that like normal human beings couldn't do. You know, when yeah. when, when did you start? you know, realizing that you could do these sort of things. Like what led you to want to become a wrestler when you were a kid in the first place? I mean, obviously you knew that you were, that you were smaller than, than wrestlers normally were. i tell you what, I, I, uh, I lived, I lived in San Diego from the age from uh, pretty much from birth up mm-hmm. until the age about 11 years old. Right. And within that time, uh, my uncle Ray Mysterio lived in my mom's house for a couple of years when he was working for construction, mm-hmm. but was wrestling in Tijuana every Friday night. Okay. So, uh, him living in my house, I had a chance to experience uh, wrestling for the first time. Not only that, uh, um, go to every match that he had, you know, in yeah. Tijuana and see, and see what wrestling was like, man. See the masks, see the colors, see the outfits, uh, you know, uh, um, I don't know if this happened with you, but as soon as I saw all of that for the first time, I was like, man, this, this is a <laughs> cool world. I want to be a part of this. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, as, I, as I grew uh, older, I was able to accompany my uncle to the gym, be part of uh, not the wrestling school at the time, but just going in there just like any other kid would if they let him have... Uh, five or ten minutes of the ring, yeah. you know, just play around, play around, pretend like you were wrestling mm-hmm. until, until I took it uh, serious. Uh, and that was uh, probably about after the age of 11 is when we moved down to Tijuana. And I was able to go to the gym every day. I mean, Monday through Thursday and uh, Fridays would be wrestling. Saturdays would be just hanging out and then Sundays would be wrestling again. You know, uh, until I was able to wrestle professionally, which was at the age of 14. You started <laughs> at 14. It's crazy. And, and he, here's a crazy story, Chris. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but they said, okay, let's, let's, uh, 
let's say you take the a test because we had to take a test back then. Mm-hmm. And let's say you pass the test. Once you pass the test, you go to the Boxing Commission and Wrestling Commission of Tijuana. And uh, then they give you your wrestling license, which I still have. You got to check out wow. the on that. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of a so, test did you have to take? Like a written test? No, 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 no. This was a, a pretty much like a... Um, a test, like um, a physical condition. Oh, gotcha. Test. Okay, uh, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was like the three or four uh, um, uh, yeah, things d- that you had to go through. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, the last, the last one would be, of course, having a match in front of the uh, of the wrestling commission, which yep. at the time were other wrestlers, professionals. You had to have a match in so front was, of the commission. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow! Exactly. So, so what? Yeah. Were you so, like? Were you like a gymnast when you were a kid, or when did you start realizing you could do all the, these incredible high-flying flips and all that sort of thing? Well, ne- next to the, to the wrestling school that was attached pretty much, everything was right there, the auditorium. Yeah. And to the left of the auditorium was uh, the wrestling school, and to the right was uh, a gymnastic school. Okay. So they had the pit with the foams and yeah. everything there. Yeah. That's so, a- but I, I really never was was big into uh like we would go in there and play around but most of the stuff that i that i pulled off in the ring was just from being able to sit in the bleachers or being inside the ring and just visualizing stuff it, when you started at 14 what was your name my my very first name the green lizard <laughs> did you believe that i got i got pictures of that too what is and, it? and I was I'm a, I remember I was pissed off, Chris, because I told my uncle, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to carry on the legend, which of course it didn't happen right away. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then he baptized me as the Green Lizard, and of course <laughs> that only stuck around for like two weeks, and then I jumped over to Colibri. What, what was it, the Green Lizard, or was it the Green, green Lizard? What's Spanish for Green Lizard? Lagartija Verde. Is that was your was your name Lagartija Verde? Yeah, La Lagartija Verde. Yeah. La Lagartija Verde. That's awesome. It, it, the name sucked, but at the time I was like, you know what? Just bring it on, man. I just want to wrestle. Hey, my first match I was called Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. So, <laughs> <laughs> what was the outfit like? Uh, it, I rebelled. I did not want to be a cowboy. So they're like, all right, we're still going to call you a cowboy, but you don't have to dress like one. So you do what you got to do when you're wrestling, right? Now in Mexico, I mean, there's there's a big culture of minis, the, the you know the the little people wrestling, the midget wrestling. When you when you started, did they want you to be a mini, or or were you kind of in the middle ground between mini and and you know I guess normal sized person? Well, I, I guess they didn't give me a mini just mm-hmm. because of the fact that oh, I was short, mm-hmm. uh, but I was still young. So right. Till I had my first break in Mexico, which was when Conan uh, brought me over. Mm-hmm. Pena, Antonio Pena saw me for the first time. He 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 pretty much told Conan, you know what? He he doesn't look like a wrestler. He looks like a meanie. Right. Put him with the meanies, with the midgets. Yeah. And Conan said, no, 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 give him a break. He <laughs> goes, first put, put him with the big guys, and if he doesn't do good, then you can go ahead and put him with the meanies. So, and he, he of course, hustled this behind my back, which I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Conan, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, um, that was that was the only time they considered me a meanie. So, what was the reaction like when you first started w- with all the other guys in the locker room? 
the thing is, be, before I even became uh, big, just in the Tijuana area, mm-hmm. um, you got to remember, I was I was uh, breathing, sleeping, and eating wrestling. I mean, right. I would go to to my uncle's shows, and I was uh, being able to hang out with the stars from Mexico that were coming over and spending. You know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but sometimes they would come over to Tijuana and they would spend sometimes a month, a month and a half, two yeah. months, and the promoter would set them up in in apartments. So I was I was hanging out, you know, with with all of them, with Canelo Casas, mm-hmm. heavy metal, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Leon Chino, you know, and they would just kind of give me tips, you know, if you want to make it uh, big and you want to go to Mexico, you gotta eat, you gotta eat, and you gotta <laughs> drink beer. That's a lot of beer. <laughs> that was that was their pointers for me. Yeah, to eat and drink beer to gain weight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But and, you know, it, it's funny because all, all these guys that that were around that were always real cool with me. You know, never uh, disrespected me or or uh, never took me as a joke because I guess they 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 saw my potential. But I just didn't have the size, you know, mm-hmm. and that was one big obstacle in my career. But you, do you feel you overcame that with the, the explosive and the amazing moves that you could do? Now, I definitely do. Uh, to, a, to a certain uh, point in my career, it's very satisfying to, to know that, that all those years of, of hearing that I was too small and too small and that I gained weight, um, I wasn't going to grow any taller, so yeah. there was there was no no uh, breaking into that. So, you know, definitely. I mean, it, it's very satisfying uh, to know that that I've accomplished so much, and I had really big obstacles in front of me. Well, and, and that's the thing that always impressed me about you, even before I met you. Like you said, I met you briefly in in Mexico City in ninety. 90- Two, I believe it was, maybe early 93. But I was watching you because the, the first country that really embraced you, besides Mexico, of course, was Japan. And I was spending a lot right. of time in Japan at that time. And they would have literal, like little uh, magazines that were completely devoted and, and dedicated to you. And they would show your move picture by picture, like, 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 a, like a motion, like one second, two second, three second. And I could never, like, there was a couple of moves I could not figure out, like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, I don't even know what this is. <laughs> like, I couldn't even visualize it in my, in my brain, you know? And that's why I remember the first time I saw you was in Japan at the Super J Cup second stage. And, yeah. uh, and Benoit and I were watching you backstage, and we were flipping out. I'll never forget, you know, Chris was a, a pretty quiet, stoic guy, but he was, we were flipping out at like, what the, look at this, what was that, did you see this, what was that? And psych- <laughs> and another, the psychosis was, was, was the perfect partner, per- perfect guy for you to work with, because he was still to this day one of the guys that knew exactly where to be for all of your moves. Well, could you imagine, I mean, Probably from the from the time I started training uh, in that gym in Tijuana, yeah, he was already he was already uh, uh, training there. So he had been there for about a year by the time I got there. So just training with him every day for the last five years, and then eventually uh, um, starting a uh, a professional career with him, you mm-hmm. know, next to me. I mean, we were just we, we were a married couple, man. <laughs> took it all the way to WCW. Yeah, and the thing that was interesting, too, was I remember, and I'm sure you went through this probably at that point in time when you were still kind of, uh, I guess, new, 
was Asai brought you in, Ultimo Dragon brought you in because he knew you from Mexico and was telling everybody, you got to see this guy. He's, he's incredible. And it wasn't Tenru, but Tenru's brother in law, I remember, was yelling at, at Asai, like, what the, you know, they, how they yelled at each other. And I asked Asai yeah. afterwards, what, what was he yelling about? He said, he's mad at me that I brought Mysterio here because he says Mysterio is so short that it's, that it's almost a joke for this company. Then you had your match and tore the freaking house down. And afterwards, that same guy was asking Asai, when can he come back and how often? Like in 20 minutes. <laughs> not, not, not to mention, Asai didn't tell you the fact that he, after I guess his boss bitched him out, he came over to me and said, you make sure you look good because boss is really mad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he just put the pressure on me. <laughs> but you know what? It, it was just hard to have a bad match. You know, uh, and the same thing happened in ECW. You know, after wrestling with psychosis for so many years and, and just knowing our styles, it was just so hard to go in that ring and, and, and have a bad one, you know. Well, yeah, you guys had your routine down. You guys knew each other so well. And the thing with the Japanese fans is, is they embraced you right away because Japanese are, are smaller people, too. And I think they, I think that's even kids as well or, or, or anybody. They see you and you become, they live vicariously through you because you're a smaller guy. I think the Japanese fans totally embraced you because of that reason. You know, I've never, I've never thought about that, but that's actually uh, really good, man. And you remember Hayashi too, right? I was just going to bring him up. Yeah. Well, he was the costume well, maker. He was the guy who uh, made costumes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Crazy story about him. Uh, so I get to Japan. You know, everybody's teaching me about the culture and how I got to bring a lot of masks, and you know, they're going to start uh, wanting to buy them and this and that. So I come prepared, but. But uh, as soon as I get to the arena, and I sold at uh, Sumo Palace, was yeah, it? Yeah, Sumo Palace, right. Sumo Palace, right, yeah. They pull me over to the side, and then they say that this person is looking for me because he has something to give me. Uh, well, it was Hayashi mm-hmm. that I met for the first time, and he had an outfit uh, with my measurements to the T. Wow. It was actually the outfit that I wore that night, that black and yellow one. Oh, really? And, and you and, you'd never and even his, been there? No, no. I mean, this is the first time we actually met. Yeah. I don't know how he got my measurements, uh, but he, he had them down, man. He said, please wear a costume for, for tonight. And I make, he goes, I make two masks. You give me uh, one you work, and here's an uh, extra one for you. So that's, that's what I did. I wrestled with that outfit. I gave him the mask that I wore that night, and uh, he had made an extra one for me. You know, and it's you know, you brought his name up, and he's the guy that really made that uh, the thought that I told you earlier. Because remember him saying, "Oscar is my hero. Oscar is my hero. Why? Because he is small like me, but yet he is a Superman." And I just thought, like, that's the Japanese mentality that Rey Mysterio is the Superman that can beat you know these giants, but yet he's he's not the biggest guy, and was so explosive, man. That was such a great match to watch, uh, even to this day. Thank you, thank you, Chris. I mean, that whole that whole era, man, was just incredible, man. I wish I could go back and relive that, <laughs> that stage in my life, man. It was awesome. It was so weird. Some gr- and you know what? Uh, it's funny that after that time, I mean, Hayashi and I are now the biggest of friends, man. We wow. still talk to each other. He comes down to San Diego. He comes to my house. I mean, it's, it's funny how friendship starts, man, but yeah. it's incredible. Now, when we had some good times, because you, you did quite a few tours. Well, we did quite a few tours in, in WAR together, and... That's when we started working too. We always, I mean, we always had a good time in, in Japan. I always loved the the reaction of the crowds there, mm-hmm. how they took um, the sport very seriously. I mean, there's still entertainment value, but they really treated it 
and still do like like an NFL game or an NHL game or something right. along those lines, you know? Right. right. Yeah. Everything was always taken very uh, serious, and and I mean, I just I remember seeing the guys that would, or the wrestlers actually, the boys that would set up the ring. You know, when we would travel on the buses, set up the ring, uh, warm up, wrestle, then tear the ring down. You know, and then yeah. go to the next show. Yeah, it was it was it was a really cool experience, especially for that, like you said, that stage in in our lives because we were both just young guys starting out in the business. But the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a seventy yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This this is Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. We're talking to Ray Mysterio, one of my best friends in the business. It's been a while since we uh, had a chat, but we're enjoying the, uh, reminiscing about all the old times in Mexico and Japan. How did you get uh, ho- hooked up with ECW, uh, Oscar? I believe Conan uh, uh, was in contact with Polly. Yeah. And uh, right about the time that, was it uh, Dean? Yeah, Dean and Eddie and Chris oh, were there uh, too, Dean I think. Eddie. Yeah. Dean, Dean and Eddie were about to leave ECW to go to WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Polly had told Conan that they were about to leave. And uh, I don't know if Conan brought it up or Polly told, asked him if, if uh, he had anybody out there that he can uh, replace Eddie and Dean, uh, which, of course, we were no replacements. We just had something different to give them, you know, Uh, and that's when he brought psychosis and me in. And at this point, too, you guys had a reputation. I mean, it wasn't as much of a hard sell for for you to go to ECW, I'm sure, because they knew all of the best wrestlers in the world. And all of us, when we went there, they, you know, we we had some buzz about us. Um, did you, and the fans were smart too. They they were tape traders and they were magazine readers. And what was it like when you first went there with the fans? Did they embrace you right away as well? Man, it was it was a big embracement by the by the fans. Uh, the the I think the cool thing about uh, going to ECW for the first time, and it was it was just just like going to Japan for the first time. I mean, we were psyched up because I think at the time we weren't realizing that we were just taking uh, another step further uh-huh. of making it big leagues. We were enjoying every moment that we had to wrestle somewhere else. It was just something different for us. So I remember watching tapes of ECW before we actually got there, and we were like, damn, this is crazy. <laughs> we're about to go over there tear it up. And, uh, man, Psychosis and I, we were living together at the time, so... It was just uh, excitement, and once we flew in, Philly Airport, they picked us up. I remember walking into that travel lodge. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as soon as we pulled up to the hotel, we hear sirens, and, and she's going down in the lobby, and uh, Kathy was with us. And uh, next thing you know, they're, they're bringing uh, New Jack, 
uh, down the stairs. Uh, I don't know what had happened. We're like, oh, man, what are we about to get into, man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Travel Lodge was right downtown in the middle of, like, a, 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 I'm going to say a crack neighborhood. And all the fans oh. would hang out there at the Travel Lodge. <laughs> I'm sure some of them are listening right now. And all the boys uh, and, and, and all the I – remember, I'll never forget the first time I went there how many girls were working for the company. I'd never seen that many hot chicks working as valets or managers. So all the girls, all the guys, all the fans, and there was cops and there was drugs, and it was just nuts. <laughs> it was it was ECW home, man. It was crazy. It was really crazy. But anyways, wa- walking into that arena, man, for the first time, we felt kind of uh, timid or mm-hmm. or a bit, uh, you know, kind of out of place. Yeah, intimidated, but, man, maybe. All, yeah, all it took was was to go out there and perform for the first time, and then you just felt like you were you had been there for years, man. And the the reason of us being out there and, and being able to do what we did that night, our very first show on ECW, I remember going up to Polly and, and asked him, is it okay if, if we use a table? He's like, use whatever you want. Go out there and have a good time. Yeah. You know, he was really uh, uh, adamant about us being confident and uh, just tearing the house down. And that's, that's what we did, man. After that, it was every week we were there now, you know, after our first uh, appearance there. Yeah, and there was no rules in ECW, and that was, like you said, that was one of the, the greatest things about that company. You could do anything you want. I remember when you, when, when Hoovy came in with you, and you guys he did the the, the, the hurricanrana off the parking of the car in the parking lot. You guys went outside. Yeah. I mean, just stuff like that, yeah. and, and people would just be following you outside and screaming and yelling and ECW this, and <laughs> there was just no limits. What a vibe, huh? What yeah. a freaking vibe, man! It was awesome. Yeah, it really was. It's it's hard to explain for people who weren't there just how that was. It was a real us versus them uh, mentality to be in that locker room. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, man. That's so, very true. Um, but it, man, again, these are phases in in my life, man. That that uh, I I hardly get a chance to to talk about them. And uh, in this occasion, it just brings back a lot of good memories. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because our careers are very parallel. Like I said, man, I met you my first week in Mexico, which was my first major company, and we've kind of followed each other ever since. And it is fun to, to talk about those days, because there's not a lot of guys that, that know what it was like. you know. And that's, I think a lot of our, uh, a lot of our fans listening have maybe heard about it, but don't really know for sure you know, just how things went. And I was going to mention to you, you mentioned Hayashi making the masks for you. How did you decide the design of your mask? Is that the same mask that your uncle wore? It, it's pretty much one of, the, one of the many designs that my uncle uh, uh, wore. He would, he would uh, uh, pretty much come up with, with uh, different designs uh, almost every other week, every month. But he always uh, kept certain things that would uh, uh, signify his name, yeah. which was a question mark. Uh-huh. A crown, and uh, and then of course uh, um, after I started wearing the Falcons, you know they just kind of stuck with me. But yeah, this was again this was one of the many masks that that my uncle wore, and I just I just uh, uh, embraced this one for some reason, man. It just mm-hmm. felt like this was the one uh, to carry with me. Yeah, and the question mark would be for for mystery and the crown because Ray is not Ray like you know you know Ray Leota. It's Ray as in King. Ray is Spanish for King, so that's King the the mystery King or King Mystery is what it would mean in English. Yeah, King. Yeah. Yeah, King Mystery. Exactly. Huh. So when you were, when you were working in ECW, were you still uh, working in Mexico and Japan as well? 
yeah, I was actually doing all three, going back and forth. Not until I started with WCW is uh, when I decided to move back to San Diego, and yeah. and, uh, and then that's when I started my life with my wife and my kids. But but uh, uh, at the time when I was doing Japan and ECW, I was still living in Mexico City. And did Conan help you get into WCW as well? It seemed like he was always kind of going into the company first and then bringing you along with him. I mean, he always, if there's something I got to uh, pay respect to and, and thank him for is, is uh, definitely uh, opening up the doors for me to, to not, not just for me. I mean, he did it for a lot of guys, and I'm sure he didn't have to, uh, but but he did, man. He, he brought us along, you know, psychosis. It was always... Uh, we were the testers, uh, Psychosis and Ray, you know, and uh, after we we would uh, make an entrance, then he would pull other guys in, uh, in this case, Hoovy and Parker, uh, Super Kello. Yeah, the whole the whole yeah. gang. I mean, and then, yeah. you know, I, I came into WCW a couple months after you got there. Now, you know, we're talking about going into the locker room in, in Japan, the locker room in ECW. What was the, the reaction to you in WCW when you, when you came in there? Because this is now guys that pay no attention to, to international wrestling, could care less about what's happening in Mexico or Japan, could care less what's happening uh, in ECW or you know any of those type of places. You know, guys like Luger and Sting and Hogan and Hall and Nash. And w- did they have an open mind when you came in, or was it once again kind of one of those things where they were kind of snickering at you or, or not really believing what you could do until they saw you? Oh, it was it was definitely there was there was a lot of snickering. <laughs> so tell us about the but first day you walk in the locker. Who did you see? Like who was laughing at you? Well, here's here's the crazy thing, man. Uh, I didn't I didn't realize until um, until I was there at the time. But my first match with WCW was a pay per view. I mean, they had they didn't even uh, bring me in for a tryout, or, <laughs> you know, like we normally do now for WWE. Yeah, they just threw the card. And I believe I was opening match for a Great American Bash against Dean Malenko. So I was like, all right. Um, but as soon as I walked into the locker room, you know, Lex was there. Uh, Hogan came in later. Uh, but, the the of course, um, Lex, when he first saw me, you know, like, it was kind of one of those stare downs. Like, what's this kid doing in this locker room? Man? <laughs> um, <laughs> the one, the one, one guy that has always been cool. Up to date, uh, Scott Steiner. And, really? Um, yeah, I was able to, to meet him in, in uh, ECW. So when I walked into WCW for the first time, he was there, man. He was really cool. Well, he might have seen uh, you, though, because Scott had spent a lot of time in Japan, too. And like I said, if you worked in Japan in the mid-'90s, you knew who Rey Mysterio was. And if you looked through any magazine, you would see that. So maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe he kind of had heard, heard about you and knew kind of what you, what you could do. I, I hope so, man, because uh, even to the day now, I, I've always said that that one of my uh, uh, superstar heroes growing up uh, was Scott Steiner, you know, for yeah. just being such a big dude. And I don't know if you remember him pulling off those Frankens. Yeah. Uh, man, it was just awesome. I would just love to see him uh, uh, do that move over and over and and. Believe it or not, man, that's that's uh, 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 where one of my creations came from. From uh, seeing him pull out the Steiner, yeah, you know, and and me being able to be a smaller guy, but just to execute it uh, from from any uh, side of the ring, 
Yeah, yeah, jumping off the second rope or, 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 or going into the top. I mean, how did you think of those moves? Did you just sit down and sit in a ring and just kind of look at the ropes and think, well, maybe I could do this or do that, or did they come to you in a dream, or how did it work? Just like, just like the first time, first uh, way you described it, mm-hmm. I would I would sit by the rope, by the ring, and just visualize. Can I pull it off from here? Can I do it from the corner? And, and you know, just once you get your mind going, it just starts coming to you, man. And And being... As young as I was, man, I just I had no fear of right. anything. It's crazy now. <laughs> no <laughs> way. It would be hard for me to pull something off. But uh, oh, going back to that story, Chris, of walking into the locker room in WCW for the first time. Yeah, I, I have to say this. There was a lot of stare down. It's hard for me to remember exactly who was there, but like you mentioned, it was all the big boys. You know, um, right? We were in, in uh, Baltimore Arena. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out there with Dean, tearing the house down, coming back. And when we walked back into the locker room, everybody stood up and started applauding. Wow. Uh, Hogan was there, uh, Jimmy Hart, you know. Uh, and it just felt really good to, to walk into that company for the first time, have your first match, have a pay-per-view match, not even get a tryout. Right. Walking getting stared down before you go out to the ring and then you walk back into the locker room after your match and everybody just stands up and gives you a, a standing ovation, man. So well, really cool. You were you were used to that, though. I mean, it, it seemed like at this point you were probably walking into the dressing room and seeing some people smirk and just going, all right, just wait, just wait, because it wasn't the first time that yeah. it happened to you. I wasn't used to the second part, though, getting up and, and like saying good job. Good right. Job, that really felt satisfying. Satisfy, yeah, satisfying for you. One of the best matches I've ever seen uh, that, that you had in WCW or, or at any point that anybody's had was Halloween Havoc. I believe it was 97 uh, with, Eddie, with Eddie Guerrero. And he was another opponent that just that knew exactly where to be and what to do uh, with you in the, in the ring. Right, right, man. It, we, had, we had a chance to wrestle against each other for a good couple in Mexico before he came to oh really WCW oh in Triple A yeah, yeah. okay yeah in Triple A exactly so uh, um, by the time he left Triple A I was already working main events in Triple A yeah which gave me the opportunity to work against him mm-hmm. so that that was really fun by the time we were in WCW together it was like we knew each other for a very long time. Yeah, you guys had great chemistry, and then and the crowd was so into that match. Do you remember it? Is is it one of the ones that stands out to you? Oh, definitely, most definitely. Because remember, Eric, uh, Eric was uh, he had me going there for a while, saying that that was apparently the night that I was supposed to lose my mask. Oh, it was a mask. It was a hair, was a hair versus mask, or was it just? It was mask versus title. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, apparently that that's where that that whole uh, idea started of me taking off my mask. Yeah, he and went through. Came down. He went through a real phase where he wanted everyone to lose their masks, and there was a lot of Mexican guys in in the locker room at that point. Like you said, there was probably ten or fifteen guys. W- what was his mindset for that? Did he did he ever try and explain it to you? No, never. But it's it, I think now it's. It, it's uh, even harder to try to find out what the whole purpose of it was or who was behind it, if there was somebody, or, or if it was just him, uh, you know, saying, you know, that's what I want to do, and that's what I want to do. I just want to take uh, your masks off. 
knowing yeah. that uh, possibly it could jeopardize some of the careers in Mexico if, God forbid, WCW were to close down at the time. Right. Well, then, then yeah. a couple of years later, he actually did have you lose your mask. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That did happen. Uh, reason why? God, uh, uh, apparently at the time, he thought I had more potential without my mask. Mm-hmm. But again, they, they never marketed my mask like WWE did as soon as I started with them. Right. You know, that was a dollar sign here. And it wasn't, it wasn't in WCW. And I never could understand why. Yeah, I mean, he just got it into his head. I mean, I even I I had a match with Hoovy, Juventud Guerrera, where it was mask versus title, and, and and I beat him for his mask, and he took it off. And right. it, you know, at one point in in that time, you know, the the late nineties, I felt that he was not as good as you, but pretty damn close. He he was a tremendous, oh. tremendous performer. Oh my god, he was incredible, incredible, yeah. and I, and it's 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 uh, sad to hear that. He was such a mess up on other uh, situations, yeah. you know, but he was just so talented, man. I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be next to me right now. I agree. I agree. Just for whatever reason, like you said, his his, his antics outside of the ring were always uh, got him in so much trouble. But inside the ring, I had so many great matches with him. He was one of my favorites to, to work with when I was in WCW, for sure. Yeah, uh, me too. I mean, after, after psychosis... Uh, uh, I think one of the one of the biggest robberies I had, uh, besides of course the ones that that came down later in my career, but in Mexico it was with Hooli man, and man we had some awesome matches, some title matches. I mean we were we were going off every night, um, and we were we were uh, pretty much built about the same, you know. Uh, yeah. He was a bit taller than me, mm-hmm. but uh, he he was such a good base and such a good worker that he he. He was like uh, Eddie in a way, you know, knew where to position himself for everything and, and just made you look good, man. Yeah, and yeah. made himself look good. Yeah, no, like you said, he was a good seller. He had good instincts, and uh, he was always fun to watch and fun to work with. You also worked uh, a few times with, with Hall and Nash, which was quite, uh, quite you know, that was a little bit of a size difference there. But those guys always really liked you. I remember they always they gave you the nickname Ray Ray. They were really always really good to you, which was rare because they weren't yeah. they weren't good to everybody back in those days. Yeah, it's it's funny, man, because you uh, you mentioning that, Chris. Uh, you know when we did that whole uh, uh, WCW videos uh, for WWE, uh, they had asked me about Hall and Nash, and I said, man, they they were cool with me from the beginning. Yeah. I mean that second pay per view that I had, which was the Great American Bash. Uh, yeah. Remember, we were we were coming from Mexico, so you know, renting cars and uh, was a big problem for us at the beginning. But uh, one of the first persons that stood out and, and just pretty much offered a hand was Nash. Uh, right after that pay per view, he said, "Hey, you guys have a ride uh, for um, Nitro the next day?" I'm like, nah. He goes, "I'll pick you guys up. Where you guys staying at?" And uh, he picked Conan up and myself up. Uh, the following day, drove us down to, to Nitro, man, uh, which we were doing in Orlando at the time, Universal. Yeah. But, uh, again, man, they, they were always very, very cool. At, at one point, I remember uh, when nobody, when Conan wasn't around or, or none of the boys, Hall, Nash, and myself would be driving down the road. So 
they respected you because of you know the reasons that we're talking about. You know, you were you were a smaller guy that came in there and just impressed everybody. You've always been a really respectful guy, and I think they probably. I remember that one time when they did the backstage invasion, and, and Nash like threw you like a dart into the side of the of the uh, truck. Do you remember that? It was just he just yeah. flew headfirst into it and just went boom. I mean, that made him look like a monster. You made him look great that night. I still remember it. It was actually that day that I got the ride. Maybe it was in exchange for the ride, man. Yeah. Now it's starting to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's always a price to pay. <laughs> we'll, yeah, man. We'll be back with more Ray Mysterio next week on Talk is Jericho. We've got way too much left to discuss how he ended up in the WWE, what his first days there were like, and even about the program, the classic angle that Mysterio and Jericho work together. Lots more with Rey Mysterio next Wednesday, but right now it's time to go to the phone lines. Did you catch the number? Were you watching the Twitter? At Talk is Jericho. If you were smart and stealth, you might have gotten through. We got tons of calls right here, but let's go to Eric in Minnesota. And see what's going on up in the ne- that neck of the woods. How you doing, Eric? Hey, Chris. Uh, nice talking to you again. I know a couple of shows ago you mentioned that you and your family uh, vacation up in Lake Vermilion. Yes. I was I was wondering uh, if you have any uh, any uh, fun stories about uh, traveling up in northern Minnesota or uh, from your vacation times with your family or any other times like on the road. Well, I mean, yeah, Lake Vermilion is is a really cool place. I mean, in northern Minnesota, there's tons of uh, of lakes up there, but we have a really uh, cool one that's that's it's massive. I have a cabin up there. My wife's family has had a cabin up there for for years and years and years, and it's a it's a, it's a great place to go. I, I went there every summer since uh, since we met back in about ninety eight or ninety nine, and actually, that's where I first saw. The vignette countdown to the to the Jericho countdown back in 1999 when we were doing the Millennium Man thing, and I remember I was at the the lake and the, this this is you know I'm sure there's a lot more reception now and and Wi-Fi and just overall cell signal and everything, but at the time there really wasn't a lot of cell signal. So there was two things I remember. One is that I would have to uh, back then you would have to call WCW to find it if you were working. And they would leave a message on their machine. And this is who's working this week. And they'd read a whole list of people, you know, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Sting, Lex Luger. And they would read your name if you were on Raw. And I had already been kind of ostracized and kicked out of WCW, but I still had to check in to make sure that I wasn't needed to be on the show uh, so they couldn't, you know, sue me for breach of contract or whatever it was. So I remember I had to go down to the end of the dock and kind of lean over the edge with my cell phone to try and get enough service to hear, like, if I was on the show, knowing that I wasn't, but just making sure. And it would take forever because it would cut out and I'd have to start again. And this stupid answer machine message was like five minutes long with all the names that they would list. And, of course, I had to make sure that it didn't get to mine. And then uh, I had to go and and make sure that the vignettes were starting for my WWE debut. And I was really nervous because, you know, in wrestling, you never believe anything until it actually happens. So I remember sitting in the cabin and it was raining outside and they had satellite TV, and I was just praying that it wouldn't go out and waiting and waiting. And I had to sit there for two hours and watch the whole show until finally in the last 10 minutes of Raw, they showed the first Millennium Man countdown. And I was so excited. I remember it was like in this little cabin with the whole woods and the forest around me. And that's when I knew for sure that I was going to the WWE. I was also wondering, uh, I don't like Cook and Tower, a bunch of small 
towns are up in that area. I was wondering, uh, I was wondering if you have any uh, cool stories about uh, uh, hanging out with or hanging out and talking to the people up there. Um, not really, because I don't really spend a lot of time up in that area. I just know that you kind of just go there for for uh, groceries and for for Grey Goose vodka. So that's why I like Towers that they have Grey Goose there. When you're out in the woods, you can always go find your Grey Goose over in Tower Eight. All right, we got Mike from Virginia is here. How you doing, Mike? Good to talk to you again, Chris. I'm doing great. All right, what's your question, buddy? Okay, in in one of your books, I'm sorry, I don't remember which one. You talked about meeting Carlton from Fresh Prince. Yeah. Do you have any other kind of awkward meetings with sitcom people from throughout your career? Well, I mean, I mentioned the, when I did Celebrity Duets back in 2005 or six. Carlton uh, it was on there. His name was Alfonso Rivera. Right. And if you remember, you know, on the show on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Carlton would, would do, you know, the dance. He was kind of the nerdy guy. And he was on this show with me, and we had gone to the show. The show was kind of a train wreck anyways. I mean, it was all right, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And the last night, uh, we had to do Rock Around the Clock, and it was kind of like all the people that were on the show each sang a line. So we were standing backstage, and Carlton, sorry, Alfonso came up to me, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, he goes, hey. I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you like sex? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess. Like, Pretty much everyone does, right? He goes, I love sex. I love having sex. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he's like, I must have banged over a thousand women. And I'm looking at him, he's like, this kind of short little pudgy fat dude. I'm like, all right, you've been banging a thousand chicks. And meanwhile, I'm begging, please let them call me for my line. Like, please let me call me for my line. So finally they call me, and I'm like, I'll see you in a bit. But yeah, there's nothing creepier than having Carlton ask you if you like, do you like sex? Do you like sex? (laughs) Thank you so much, dude. All right, man. Thank you. We'll do one more call. Let's get to uh, Adam in Massachusetts. What's up, Chris? It's your number one fan from Massachusetts. All right. What's going on, dude? I wanted to talk to you about uh, finishing moves. Uh, Going back in your WCW days, you had the Lion Tamer, which still to this day the best submission hold in wrestling, I believe. Thank Um, you. And then, and then when you jumped over to the WWF um, or WWE, I should say, you kind of you kind of started incorporating that little double power bomb thing you were doing. Was that your decision, or was that a WWE decision? Um, I don't think I did the double power bomb very many times, um, and probably they probably didn't want me to do it because it's a very power move that somebody you see Batista or something do. Like you know, I, when I, as I came into the business through through Japan and Mexico and Germany, I was one of the bigger guys on the roster, especially against the guys I was working with. So when I came to WWE, I still did a lot of those moves, but they really didn't fit anymore because I was a smaller guy. And I know that's one of the reasons why we started using, uh, why, why Vince didn't want me to use the submission, because he thought it would be explosive, like the type of guy that would use a pin. But I never really had a good pinning move. Like, the lion salt was great, but it didn't, it, it was okay. But that's why I came up with the code breaker back in 2000 and, and, and uh, well, I guess 2007, was I knew I needed something new. I knew I needed a new move to, to be able to bust out. Actually, maybe in 2012 when I brought the code breaker. I don't remember when it was. You guys probably know better than I do. But I needed no, no. I, I needed something more explosive, and that's why I came up with it because I knew that the that the lion salt wasn't really good enough to be a, a good finishing move, and and the submission is great, but sometimes guys don't want to submit when you're losing a match. Sometimes you need something quick, or sometimes you know submitting is kind of like the ultimate sin. You just don't submit, and if you do, it's kind of a detrimental thing. So you, that's why I came up with the idea of having two 
uh, and sometimes even three different holds. And I always tried to pass that on to all the guys that I worked with. And you always need to have another hold, another another finishing move as a backup in case the one that you always use just doesn't fit. Absolutely. Now, now let me ask you this: Was there was there any moves that you really wanted to do that say someone else already did? I know it's kind of like taboo to have the same finisher as someone else. So, was there ever a finisher that you you were like, man, I, I hope this guy either takes off or changes his gimmick <laughs> or something so I can use this finisher. And then also, what, in your opinion, is the best finisher ever in, in other, than, other than the Lion Tamer, of course? Well, I mean, there's never any moves that I didn't that I wanted to steal. I mean, there's moves I wish I would have thought of. I mean, the RKO is great. The Diamond Cutter is great. They're both the same thing. The Stone Cold Stunner was awesome. The Rock Bottom. Anything you could do just out of nowhere. Super uh, sweet chin music. Like, anything you could just hit out of anywhere were always the best ones, you know? And, that, and that's why, I mean, I, I needed something like that, which is why I came up with the Code Breaker. Something you could just hit no matter what was going on. You wouldn't have to set it up. You don't have to do anything else. Uh, for that, I always loved the shooting star press, just the majestic move of it, uh, which is why I broke my arm back in '94 trying to do it. I mean, it's not for everybody. Uh, power bomb, a good power bomb, just looks like it kills you. I always thought that was a great finishing move as well. So there's always, you know, a lot of them that would stand out and you know that I would take all the time. AA is a great move. I, I don't like taking it for some reason. I never did. Uh, probably the worst finishing move I ever took was when Cena gave me. No, Cena held me up on his shoulders for the AA, and Orton came over and gave me the, the RKO from it, which there's no way you can land other than straight down on your head, right on your neck. And I don't know why I didn't think of that, but it almost killed me. You can probably find that one on YouTube as well. So uh, lots of moves that you take, and not all of them um, are show business, baby. There's a lot of moves that actually hurt, and you got to be careful. Do not try this at home. Thanks to everybody who joined me today for the calls, and thanks so much to linking to Amazon through the Talk is Jericho page at podcastone.com. Whenever you do your online shopping, every time you buy something that way, Amazon kicks back a few dollars to the show so I can keep bringing you the pot of thunder twice a week for free. Okay? You know, today I had a stuffy nose, used a Kleenex. That cost money. People! And thanks for hitting that download button. In fact, if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend to check out the show and tell them to tell a couple of friends and so on and so on and so on. I know there's a lot of choices for podcasts nowadays. Obviously, mine is the best. Obviously, you're smart enough to know that. But if you really like the show and you haven't done it yet, hit that subscribe button at iTunes so you never miss an episode. It'll go straight to your device for free and on time. So we will see you next Wednesday for part two of my awesome interview with Ray Mysterio. We'll look forward to checking you out then. Stay hard, stay hungry, stay heavy. Thank you very much and a big yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. 